Sit back, it's time to get groovy. Question, do you remember that movie? Welcome to Remember That Movie. I am the third Alejandro Rosa on IMDb. And I'm Steve Johnston, still not on IMDb to the best of my knowledge. And we are back with a new episode. If you heard our previous episode, it was on the film City of Angels, released in 1998. This is kind of the prequel. It is the film that it is based on loosely according to everything and we're going to talk about it it is a little different and we'll see what you guys think i'm going to use steve to help me with this one we are doing the film title der himmel über berlin the heaven over berlin also the sky over berlin depending apparently on the translation as I say, depending on which translation of Himmel you use, I have decided that it should be heaven just because of the angelic nature of our characters. When it was released in the US, it was called Wings of Desire. It was released at the Cannes Film Festival March 17th, 1987, but it didn't come to the US until April 29th, 1988. This film is directed by Wim Wenders, an already established director at the time. It was written by Mr. Venders, uh, along with, and help me out here, Steve, Peter Hanke? Hanke, I believe, yes. And Richard Reitinger. Yes. Peter Hanke wrote most of the dialogue for the film and the poem Song of Childhood, which is repeated many times during the course of the film. He actually won the Nobel Peace Prize for Literature in 2019. Oh, so there you fantastic. go. That's your random beginning factoid. This film is our first German film. According to the internet, <laughs> Venders <laughs> had been in America for about eight years. He's been doing making films, and he missed his home. And he decided he wanted to make a film about his favorite place in Germany, which was West Berlin. Yes. We are going to talk about this film in reference to City of Angels. But first, we want to focus on Wings of Desire. Steve, had you seen this film before? No, I was not aware of its existence until we had done the work on City of Angels. So this was brand new territory for me. I had no idea what this was going to be. A friend told me she had seen it in college. Okay. And after watching it and the things that I've read about it, yes, it definitely probably shows up in film classes a lot. So we're going to do our best. It's going to be a little bit of a different episode because, interestingly enough, I have a harder time breaking this down, you know, being that it's in German, and that's not even the hard part. How do we describe this, Steve? It's not that it's not sequential or anything like that, because it is. I, I think the best way I came up of describing it was that you have two, two strands, two pieces of cloth that are woven together. You have the narrative story of Damiel, the angel, uh, falling in love with Marion the trapeze artist. And then you have a separate strand, which is the angels just listening in on the people of Berlin and listening to their inner thoughts. And the two really don't have anything to do with one another, but they're woven together throughout the entire film. When we're looking at this through the lens of this film, we once again have invisible angels that are present all around us. And... One of the things that these angels do is that they can hear everyone's thoughts, everyone's. And that's what they do. They listen. They listen to everything everyone is saying. They document things. It's part of kind of like their job. 
Mm-hmm. It documents things that they've observed, experiences that they've seen. And then at other times, their job is also to comfort, comfort those having a difficult time, as you would expect an angel to do. Yes. Our main character is Damiel, or Damiel. I assumed it was the, the, the soft A, so I've been calling him Damiel. Damiel, okay. If, oh. if we're wrong, let's be wrong together. All right. We have <laughs> Damiel, and like in the first film, we have Cassiel. These are our two main angels in the film. In addition to Damiel and Cassiel, we have Marion, who is the uh, trapeze artist that Steve just mentioned. We kind of see her struggles while she's trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life. We have Homer, who is an older gentleman, who we follow for a great portion of the film. In addition to those main characters, we have Peter Falk, which was by far the most confusing thing that happened in the film. Because it's like (laughs) German, German, German. Marion is speaking French. And then all of a sudden... What is Peter Falk doing in this movie? And he is playing Peter Falk. And he is speaking in English. English, yes. It was unbelievably surprising, and I just giggled to myself when he appeared. And then we also have a kind of, you want to say kind of like a cameo by Nick Cave and his band, correct? Yep. Part of that was the fact that they were based out of West Berlin. Because again, this is kind of, in, in a weird sort of way, a love letter to West Berlin. Yes. So he wanted to put everybody in there. Okay. So again, Damiel, angel, fascinated by humanity. And he and Cassiel have conversations about what it would be like to be human, what that would feel like. In the process of observing everyone, Damiel comes across Marion, and he seems fascinated by her and seems to develop, we are kind of led to believe, feelings for her. Not only does he have feelings for her, he has so many feelings about humans, about being human. And so at some point he turns to Cassiel and says he thinks he's ready to take the plunge, to take the leap. And this is a conversation that clearly they both are aware of what this means Mm -hmm. and in the process becomes human himself and then attempts to find Marion and start a life with her. So much of this film has these incredible aerial shots of looking down at the city. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much of the camera in motion looking yes. at the city. And the next thing you know, you know, we're with one of the angels and they're with someone. It clearly makes us feel like there's, they're flying over the city, right? And then yes. they, they land when they need to. And I found that very fascinating. What did you think about that, Steve? Like you, I thought that the cinematography was absolutely gorgeous. The aerial shots of the city, the slow lingering shots from the ground at specific points of the movie, particularly when our old character Homer is running through some of his memories and we are seeing the shots of what he is describing, although now it's the modern version from the 1980s rather than the 1940s, like he is, you know, recalling. Really beautiful and stark in a way. One of the things that struck me right off the bat is the lack of people in a lot of the shots. I I don't want to compare it to the other movie because that's going to come later, but there were plenty of shots of streets from above at ground level with not a lot of movement going on. 
So you have this very nice big built-up city that just seems almost uninhabited at times. One of the things that visually the film does is that when we are seeing things through the eyes of the angels, it's in black and white. Yes. And then anytime we see it from a human perspective, it goes into color. Now, you don't know that right away because the very beginning of it is black and white. I assumed that that's what we were watching, a black and white film. I assumed the same thing. There was so much at the beginning is black and white that that first flash of color when it occurs kind of throws you for a loop. Which I don't think is an accident. No, I, I think that was done on purpose. And then the second scene that suddenly occurs in color, then you kind of put together, oh, I get it now. This is what we're seeing. Black and white is angels, colors the quote unquote real world. Yeah. Once I picked up on it, I thought that was phenomenal. I, I agree. I thought that was really cool. And I think one of the difficulties is in order to kind of explain this film, you really have to understand that most of the film has no true dialogue. Most of the film is thoughts. You're hearing thoughts. Sometimes you'll look at one person and you'll get a thought. You'll look at another person and you'll get a thought. It's always close to being chaotic. And that's something that you have to get used to as you start watching the film, which is funny, right? Because we all think, oh, wouldn't it be a cool superpower to read people's minds? Not if you can't turn no. it off. <laughs> and that's what that thought made me think of. Like, oh, don't wish for that if you ever yeah, find a genie no. in a lamp. Please, I don't want to read anybody's thoughts. There are moments in the film where you see people in desperation. Right from the beginning, there was a scene in an ambulance with mm. a pregnant lady. And she and what we assume was her partner, her husband, the baby was having a hard time and they're trying to get there. You see the lady's belly and then this hand just appears like it was been there the whole time and puts it on the belly and clearly soothing and they kind of pull back and you see that it's our angel mm -hmm. there okay. is a scene where because they're invisible they just go wherever and right. so at one point they're at a bmw dealership yes that's right and they're just sitting in a car in the showroom chatting because again nobody can see them and they have this fascinating conversation so much so that i wrote down part of it mm. emil was saying you know, it's wonderful to live as a spirit and to testify for all eternity about what's in people's minds, but sometimes I get fed up with the spiritual existence. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I need to father a child or anything like that, but yes, what it would be like to take off my shoes and feel my toes, to go home and feed my cat. The one that I particularly liked was to get my fingers black from newsprint, having read the newspaper. He has this real passion for wanting to explore what humanity is. Yes. While at the same time being grateful for being a, this kind of eternal being who knows all things. And then also wanting to not do that. It was great. It was great. And I agree with you that there is this kind of love story that sort of appears. But I will say it was subtle to me to an extent. I found his love of humanity much more of a focus than his kind of impassioned for Marion. I thought that his focus on Marion was a bit more front and center, just because between the time that he first goes to the circus and 
sees her dressed as an angel swinging during rehearsals. If you remember, he takes Cassiel back to the circus saying, oh, come yes. on, you, I, I, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. So there is a, a second interaction That's there where he's kind of showing off to his friends saying, look, this this is what I'm into. And Cassiel's, I don't want to say disinterested, but he's obviously not having as much fun at the circus as Damiel is. Damiel, if I recall correctly, is actually sitting in the bleachers next to a young girl and just beaming from ear to ear as he's watching the show go on. A hundred percent. And that's another kind of fun little fact about the angels. Nobody can see them with one exception. Children. And they see them in the most glorious way. They would meet eyes with children and then they would just smile at each other. And it was okay. And yeah, when he's at the circus, he's just sitting next to a little girl because of course they can see him. I was somewhat, I'm not going to say thrown, but on the airplane scene, when we pan across a bunch of people who are on the jet arriving into Berlin, and we actually go past Peter Falk, who has some, you know, thoughts about flying into the city and not knowing really what part he's playing, but as long as he gets a good costume, it will be fine. <laughs> and then we, we end up on a young girl who is just staring straight into the camera. And I was trying to figure out, okay, is she just inexperienced? And, you know, is, is she you know, a, a child and therefore is looking at the camera? No, that's done on purpose because she is looking at Damiel. And the next shot we get is the reverse shot from her perspective. And it's Damiel just looking down at her, smiling very kindly. There is a, a very good kindness about him anytime he looks into the camera, looking at you or looking at the other characters. It's pure warmth. It is. Which also then makes you go, oh, that's why the kids are fine with him. Because yeah. they see that too. Oh, this is a nice man, you know? True. Let's see. Peter Falk. Peter Falk plays an interesting role in this entire film. Yes, he does. Once again, he plays himself in a fictional universe, of course. Which I found remarkably cute because everyone kept calling him or referring to him as Columbo. Yes. At some point, he's getting a coffee and Marion is saying that. And she's... she she turns around, salutes him and says, oh, Lieutenant, can you can you help me find a missing person? And Peter Falk just plays along with it and asks, OK, well, who is it you're looking for? It's like, oh, looking for a man. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what he looks like? No. Do, do you know who he is? No, not really. Ah, oh, no, I can't. And then she leaves, but not before again, kind of giving a quick salute and saying, hey, Lieutenant, good night. <laughs> so cute it is the kind of interaction you hope you can have that you can be cool enough to like have a decent mm -hmm. interaction with a celebrity and everyone enjoy it and you walk yes. away with your dignity that's yes that's my dream <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so he's filming a movie he's in a movie he spends a great deal of time trying to find the right hat they have him <laughs> sketching people just for fun and then he does the most fascinating thing i think in the entire movie at some point he is getting a coffee, yep. and then he turns to no one. But of course, we know that the angel is there, and he says, I know you're there. I have felt you around. We come to learn that Peter Folk, the character of Peter Folk, was previously an angel. Going back to the cafe scene really quickly, if I may, not only do we have Peter Falk talking to no one, but we see the angel that is there. The person in both of those scenes who I absolutely loved watching was the cafe owner. Yes. Who is looking at Peter Falk like he's insane. Because he's having a conversation to the he's air. He's turned around and is talking to no one and holding out his hand <laughs> as if to shake someone's hand. And meanwhile, they're just in the background, like cleaning up coffee cups and giving him strange looks with very raised eyebrows. 
I I loved it. <laughs> so Peter Falk then goes to say that he did. He was an angel and he decided to become a human. And he highly recommends it. He says, it's great. Do it. Eventually, when Daniel becomes a human, he goes and tries to find Peter Falk. And he does. Yes. And they have a conversation through a chain link fence because, of course, he's on set. And he's like, I have, I have so many questions, you know, I, you know, whatever. And Peter Falk is like, you got to figure it out yourself. That's the fun of it. That's right. That's the fun of it. And I was just like, this is so cool. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> this film took me by surprise because I didn't know where it was going. Didn't know if I was going to like it, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Like when it started and it's, it's slow. It's very yes. slow. It's slow to start. And I found that in the latter half of the movie, anything that was moving the, the narrative plot forward was good. That was it was fairly well paced, kept things going. It was the going back to listen to people's thoughts that kind of slowed it down a little bit for me. Right. And there were a couple of scenes that I you know, it's an award-winning film, so I feel bad criticizing it. You know what? Here's a disclaimer. You can probably find doctoral thesis about this film. Doctoral theses? Plural. This is why I don't have one. Because <laughs> I can't even do it in plural. You can probably find all kinds of film mm -hmm. analysis. Actually, there are, because I, I did start reading some of them. We are not those people. We have no. a silly podcast. If you want a deep dive on the cultural and cinematic significance of this film in reference to film history, by all means, go seek that out. This is just two randos giving a thought about a movie that we saw a few nights ago. All right, yeah. let's see here. Marion is in the circus. The circus is broke. So yep. at some point, they shut it down, and she's on her own. And this is around the time that Damiel becomes a human. And that scene itself was a little, is the word abstract the right choice? For when he becomes human? Yes. Oh, I think beautiful. Explain. So without referencing the other movie, there is no physical plunge involved here. This is just a, he wills it to be and therefore it is. Now, the setting for his transformation is in the death zone on the other side of the Berlin Wall. <laughs> yes. So he and Cassiel are walking on this raked sand, this raked rock, which is there so that the East German forces can have a very clear view of anything that's happening on their side of the border. And they're having the conversation, and Damiel says, I, I think I'm ready, I think I'm ready to do this. And then Cassiel stops and looks behind him. And we get a shot of the ground that they have been walking on, and there is now a single set of footprints. Because Damiel is now corporeal, he is now human, and is therefore actually interacting with the real world. I thought that little visual, that little detail was... I don't know the right word for it. Beautiful, gorgeous, amazing. One of those scenes that made me sit up and go, oh, that is... That's beautiful. That's genius. And then now that he is corporeal, Cassiel very quickly scoops him up <laughs> and carries him and drops him on the other side of the Berlin Wall, along with his angelic armor. This is, this is fascinating. He wakes up on the ground. In color. In color, bleeding from the head a little bit, as though having taken a fall. And then there's armor next to him, randomly. No, no, it, not, not random. It suddenly arrives and hits him on the head. Oh, it's that's right. It's, it's, it's like armor. it falls. Yeah, it, it, it's like it was thrown Because he looks him. up and it, there's a helicopter. 
Mm. Remember? Yes. He looks yeah. up and it's a helicopter. And I was, at that point, I was officially confused. <laughs> and uh, I was like, did they just throw something at this man? You don't understand. <laughs> and so he's running around the city, just joyful, just joyful. Yes. My favorite is when he touches his head and looks down at his hand and is absolutely fascinated about the red blood on his hand. And he goes, this is, this is red. And he, and he touches it to his tongue and goes just, oh, it has a taste. Yeah, yeah there's taste to it. And then he runs into a guy and they have a whole conversation about color. Yep. And he goes, is that is it green? And he goes, yes. What about that? Oh, is that blue? Oh, okay. What about that orange? What are these pipes? Yellow? And it's just like magical to see him. And then he runs off with his armor in hand and he yep. gets a cup of coffee. And then what does he do with the armor, Steve? He sells it. He goes to a, a shop, goes in, and then we see the armor being placed in the shop window, and he walks back out onto the street in a very choice jacket. Yes. <laughs> quite, quite, quite something. the jacket. <laughs> and a hat. He gets a and hat. And a hat. That's right. Yes. That's right. Because yeah. uh, he was cold. He said it was, he was cold, which he was also fascinated by because he was rubbing his hands together. He's like, yeah. oh, this is cold. This is what cold feels like. Later, when he has the scene with Peter Falk, Peter Falk says, how much did you get for the armor? I got 200, 200 marks for it. It's like, ah, you got robbed. <laughs> 30 years ago in New York, same thing happened to me. You know what? Before we forget, we should maybe mention the people who are in this film. We've spent so long talking about the movie, we never said who was in it, other that than Peter is, Falk. That is very true. <laughs> so for anybody who's interested, Bruno Gantz yes. played Damiel, and he is a very famous actor, 60-year career, including the Oscar-nominated film of 2004's Downfall, yes. where he played Adolf Hitler. I found out something very fascinating about him. From 1996 until 2019, until his death, he held the Republic of Austria's Ifland Ring. Interesting. This is a diamond-studded ring with a picture of August Wilhelm Ifland, the prominent German actor, dramatist, and director from the late 18th century and early 19th century. The holder or bearer of the ring is considered the most significant and worthy actor of the German-speaking theater, in the opinion of the previous holder of the ring, who passes the ring on by will. Oh, cool. Yes, like the weirdest club ever. Yes, you are the bearer, the keeper of the ring. That is awesome. Yes. So weird. And it's because he was a theater actor as well, of course, as a film actor. But mm -hmm. yes, his contributions to theater led him to get the one ring to rule them all. <laughs> and by that, I mean, there, there eventually there were two rings because somebody realized at some point that women actually did theater as well. And maybe they should have a ring. The current holder of the ring was the person after Gans. Did you make note of that person's name? Nah, they're not in this movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The one thing I was going to say was, one time, the ring was not passed from one person to another. Oh. It was done by committee because the one bearer, every time he went to pass it to someone, that person died. And so after so many times, the guy was like, you know what? This damn ring is cursed. Cursed. And he's like, I'm not <laughs> passing this to anybody. You guys decide. And so a committee had to decide who would hold the Ifling ring. <laughs> and apparently the origins of this ring are shrouded in mystery. 
Interesting. We have Otto Sander, who played Cassio. He was very well-known German film and theater actor, as well as a very well-known narrator. And then our wonderful French actress, Miss Solveig Don Martin. Don Martin? Good enough for me. I would have made a worse job of it. Our French audience is not going to be happy with me. This was her first feature film. And she actually learned circus acrobatics for the film. She took eight weeks of intensive trapeze training, and she ended up doing all her own stunts in the movie. So anytime you see her on the trapeze, that is actually her on the trapeze. We have Kurt Bois, an incredibly famous actor whose career spanned 80 years. Yes. He started as a child actor. This is his final film. He was the one, of course, who played Homer. His most famous moment in film, at least for American audiences, was for playing the pickpocket in Casablanca. And also for this film. We've already talked about Peter Falk. He improvised most of his dialogue. He improvised most of his uh, voiceover. I loved the fact that during shooting, they lost him one day. And they lost a day because he just did not show up. And they eventually found him. He had just gone out wandering through Berlin the night before, just admiring the city, taking in the sights, the sounds, mingling with the people. Once his shooting had finished, he actually stayed in Berlin an additional week on his own dime, just touring the city, having a great time, and at the back of his mind hoping that perhaps they'd have more for him to shoot in the film. But that, did, that part didn't happen. This film, as we may have mentioned, won several awards, including the Palme d'Or, as well as Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival. Won the Grand Prix at the Belgian Film Critics Association. Best Director, Best Film, and Best Cinematography at the German Film Awards, which is like the uh, German Oscars. Mm -hmm. Not everyone loved this film. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes. We'll start with Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up. Quote, praises life as it is lived, yet making sense of life's confusions. Extraordinary, said another, possibly the ultimate German film. Another review, a soaring vision that appeals to the senses and the spirit. But not everybody loved it. Here's a couple that were not so positive. Okay. Enchanting but damagingly overloaded. It's enough to make moviegoers feel impotent. Obnoxious. 130-minute mess. So, not everyone loved it, but a lot of people did, and clearly a lot of people still do. Yes. This leads to City of Angels, our former episode and the, some call, remake of this film. Now, often, including the director, they say, it's not a remake. It's not a right. remake. It's inspired by, it's a jumping-off point, it's not a remake. And I absolutely agree. Yeah, I, I was going to say inspired by is probably the best way to put it. And I now understand why several of the critics that you quoted in the prior episode were very adamant saying, do not call City of Angels a remake. Don't you dare compare it. I have to agree. It's not a remake. It's not. Differences that stood out to me. Number one, this is what I wanted out of an angel, Nick Cage. There you go. My yep. biggest criticism of City of Angels was Nick Cage is not believable. Nick Cage is not warm. He is not endearing or lovable, and this man is in yes. every possible way. He was warm from the very first scene. So when he put his hand on somebody, I didn't think he's going to turn them into a lampshade. I thought he's going to help them. 
my biggest complaint about City of Angels, if you recall correctly, is I was trying to figure out what are the rules for the angels? What are they doing? How does yes. this all work? It is laid out in one of the very first scenes where they say, oh yeah, no, we're here to observe, we're here to record, and we're here to comfort. All children can see us. Done. No one else can see us. Okay. We can't even make ourselves visible if we wanted. That's right. We're not here to ferry people off to the next stage of existence. All we are here to do is observe and comfort. This movie very solidly says, here's what the angels are about. These are the rules that they follow, and they do not stray from that. No. Far better than the kind of muddled. The other problem that it had was that it used this as kind of the starting point and then said, oh, but we want to tweak that a little. So now, if the angels want to be seen, they can be seen. Okay. Why? <laughs> the angels are going to ferry people off, you know, to, to the, the next stage. Okay. But this now creates a bit of a problem because, as I mentioned in the previous episode, if Nick Cage gave someone a hug, I wasn't sure whether they were going to be okay and comforted or if they were going to be dead in the next five seconds. They took different aspects... Uh of this film and changed it and i'm not saying that they don't work but some of them i don't think work when you look at the comparison of the two again the base storytelling the, like you said the rules of engagement in this world were very muddled in one and very clear in the other i liked the fact that we had female angels in this movie I don't think there were any female angels in City of Angels. They were all guys, weren't they? If there were female angels, we barely saw them. Say, so I, I didn't notice them. Yes. So if they're there, I apologize. In yeah. this movie, it's made very clear. And I believe in the sequel, because this has a sequel, Otto Sander, Bruno Gantz, and Peter Falk all reprise their roles in the film. And instead of Damiel and Cassiel, Cassiel is with... A female angel in that one. Ah, very good. When I watched City of Angels, I had issues with Nick Cage's performance once he became human. I thought, okay, most of it kind of works. There are one or two things that he did that's like, nah, come on, that's that's just silly. In particular, the scene where he's taking a shower and he's sniffing all the colognes. He takes the topper off of one, he sniffs it and kind of recoils, like, okay, that's fine. But then he picks up a bottle and spritzes himself in the face as if on accident. And I was like, no, that's just stupid. I'm sorry, you have been observing humanity for how long and you don't know how one of those things works? In this movie, when Damiel becomes human, he knows the ways of the world. Yes. It's just that he's experiencing them for the first time. So as you say, he is thrilled to have this little conversation about colors of graffiti that have been painted on the Berlin Wall. He sees the store and knows, ah, okay, I can I can sell my armor in that shop and they'll they'll give me something in return for it. To have him become human and not be clueless just made sense. So, at the end of this, Steve. Sir. Does this movie hold up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or we'd be, uh, our podcast would be set on fire by people who study cinema. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 I do sincerely believe that this is an excellent film. And if anyone listening has the slightest inkling going, oh, perhaps I'd like to watch that. 
do so. The one caveat I would put in is just to keep in mind that it is a West German film from the 1980s, and therefore it is a little slow at times. And that is a little bit of an understatement. <laughs> okay, it, it is quite slow at times. Yes. And then other times you're just moved and, and you think it's wonderful. So it's not perfect. It's not supposed to be. This is the first European movie that I have seen in a very long time, and it contained a shot that for me was like the epitome of European film. I saw it and went, oh yeah, this is a German art film. And it was the scene in which Marion, still in her angel costume, is sitting outside of her trailer, kind of just looking off into the distance. Next to her is Damiel standing, looking at her, and then there's an accordion player sitting on the steps. <laughs> and it's just a shot of the three of them. No one is saying anything. Nope. But we, we hold that visual for just a little bit, go, yep. Yep. European movie. Well, I think that's everything we have left to say about this film. Thank you so much, folks, for listening. If you are on YouTube, feel free to comment. If you are on Spotify or any other platform, feel free to give it stars or write a review, whatever you want to do to help us so we can continue to do this because we enjoy it. Steve, what do you think we should watch next? Well, I was giving that matter some thought. The last couple of movies that we've watched involving Cold War era stuff have been kind of dramatic and heavy because you had Ice Station Zebra, you had this film. So I figured we'd go with something a little more lighthearted and perhaps try our hand at the 1981 spy comedy Condor Man. There you go, folks. Next time, Condor Man. <laughs> Sit back, it's time to get groovy. Question, do you remember that movie? 